You're listening to the Believe in Islanders show with Matt Watney. Hello and welcome to yet another edition of the Believe in Isles podcast. It's Matt Watling right here, wherever you get your podcast, whether it be Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, right on the Believe site even you can listen to us and you can of course watch us on the Believe YouTube channel. And we've got a great show for you today yet again. And it's one that's dominated by not only the Islanders, but the dominant third periods that they've had as of late. The dominant come-from-behind wins that they've had in Maybe not dominant wins, but impressive come-from-behind wins that they've had over their last, realistically, their three wins of this week. Granted, they, they beat St. Louis after going down one nothing, but that was a impressive second period on their front. And then against the Rangers and Flames, down 3-1 after 40 minutes, come back and win 4-3 in both. Just the fourth team in NHL history to do that on back-to-back nights. But beyond that, we've also got our top five. Bottom five, we've got... A really interesting nugget on the Rangers game in which the Islanders had some questionable lineup decisions, and uh, we'll get to that later on. Beyond that, puck headlines across the NHL, our goal of the week, which came from the game against the New York Rangers, of course, where else would it come from? Our best bets. Now listen, when it comes to our best bets, I was 2-1 last week. I know the graphic said Jersey-Edmonton over 7. That's because at the time of the morning I made the graphic, the line was 7. But if you listen to the podcast like you are right now, you would have known on Wednesday and then Thursday when you heard the podcast, it was six and a half. Because that, I believe, was a Friday game. So we're counting it. We got two wins last week. Carolina won. Vegas won, but not with that extra goal we needed, that that, that empty netter we wanted against Ottawa. We couldn't get that. But we've got a couple of nice locks for you guys coming in at the end of the show, as well as our game of the week. When we look at the NHL at whole, but let's start with this past week for the Islanders, a team that didn't play its best hockey, that played fairly well, was dominant in that second period against the Blues, kind of struggled in the first period, that legitimately didn't show up against Detroit, kind of like we mentioned on last week's show, because against Detroit, it just felt like a loss. Like that was a game that when you look at the schedule, that's a built in loss. You know, the only reason it would have been more obvious is if it was on a back to back. But the team didn't show up. They didn't play particularly well. And that's what kind of happens against a team that has some talent and has some solid goaltending. And it really feels like it happens all the time against Detroit. I think they're 0-3 in their last three tries at Little Caesars Arena. Or the New York Islanders. But the, the two games after that, the win against Calgary and the win against the Rangers, I have kind of a tough time thinking about. Because when you look at them, they're wins, they're exciting, you come back, you score the final three goals to win it, but you didn't particularly play well in those games. And it was fun in the third period, and the wins are wins, and it still sits you second place in the division, which you want, right? This is a tough division to win nonetheless, but it does scare me that this team basically fell flat for 40 minutes against Calgary in 40 minutes against the Rangers, two teams that were undoubtedly struggling at the time of playing the Islanders. Now, when you look at the Rangers game, for example, you know, the Rangers wanted that game against the Islanders in the sense that they needed that jump. Chris Kreider was playing on the fourth line earlier over the last week. And in that second period, they had eight minutes of power play time, pretty much. And, and that's a tough break if you're the Islanders. Like, you took the penalties, you got to kill them off. They did an okay job of doing a one for four on the PK. 
or three for four on the PK. But I would have liked to see a better performance than getting outshot by 12 in that game and 14 against Calgary. Again, it's not the biggest deal when you look at it, right? You won your games. But based on how they performed these last four games, you probably should have gotten three points, but you got six. And those three points can make a huge difference down the line. Every point matters. And right now, frankly, the one saving grace for this team, in a sense, in my mind, is in November, you don't have to be playing your best hockey. You can win them any any way you draw it up. You win the game. That's all that matters at this point in the season. And the Islanders did just that. Now, the positive of coming back from multiple goal leads in the third period is, one, you proved to, to us you can do it. You have that confidence. And Matt Barzell spoke on that after, I think it was the, the Calgary game, when he said, look, you know, last year we didn't have this unwavering belief that we could do it. And now we do. And that's certainly a positive. Another positive would be that the team has the offensive firepower to do that. They have the ability to score three goals in one single period. Right, we, we talked about it last week, too. The amount of times that they scored five goals last year was like 10. It's got to be up to six or seven now, and we are basically a tenth of the way or an eighth of the way through the season. So for the Islanders to win these games, it's been very, very impressive, even if they haven't played their best hockey. Now, the benefit, we'll talk about it more coming up towards the end of the show, you've got winnable games. Not just winnable, but games that you should dominate against lesser opponents. And those are the games where I really want to see this team step up and put their, you know, frankly, put your foot on the throat of the other team and not let up for a full 60 minutes. Because you could win all these games and sneak by, but, and I feel like in baseball especially, it's a great example, and I think it translates to hockey too, when you win a lot of one-run games or one-goal games and come from behind games, come playoff time when the teams that you're facing are better and more invested, you're not winning those games. If you're trailing one nothing going into the ninth against the Kansas City Royals, it's a lot easier to win that game than against the Astros. And obviously the Yankees saw that. And to bring it to you know the ice for the Islanders, you know rattling off four straight against Jordan Bennington in the, in that second period, or Jacob Markstrom, who's really struggled this year in Calgary, is a lot easier than doing it against a guy like Freddie Anderson in the playoffs. Or if you want to go to the point of I, I want to say Shesterkin, but obviously you, you kind of did it against him, right? He's like 1-7-1 in his last nine games against the Islanders. You know, you can't really come back from multiple deaths against the Lightning. We've seen that in the playoffs several times over the last few years. But I do think the positive for this team is that the offense is there. And we haven't seen an offensive like offense like this for the Islanders in quite some time now, arguably since before Barry Trotz. And this team maybe doesn't have the talent that the, that Doug Waite had in terms of the offensive firepower, right? John Tavares backing up Matt Bars or you know backing up him as Matt Barzell. Who else did you have in that mix? I, I think Eberle was there at that point. It feels like it's been so long ago. It feels like honestly a decades since before Barry Trotz and since John Tavares left the Islanders. But now you maybe don't have the offensive skill, but you have a lot of skill on your back end. And that's what's been so impressive for this team continuing to produce offensively is that that back end has an offensive skill set that even Adam Pellick delivered against the Rangers scoring in that third period. The, the mentality of this team is aggressive. It's attacking. 
It's not sitting back and waiting to take our chances. It's grabbing the bull by the horns and making those chances. And that is something that this team hasn't had in quite some time. And that is something that championship teams have. The championship team pushes the pace. They don't let the pace come to them. The Avalanche fly for a full 60 minutes every single time come come the playoffs. They did it last year. The Lightning have done it the years before that. And the faster teams, the more aggressive teams that play the puck and control it and can get a save from their goaltender and can get a block from a key defender, those are the teams that win. And right now, while the Islanders haven't played the full 60, they have that instinct. And I haven't seen that in this team in quite some time. And that is a big, big positive for the Islanders moving forward in this season. And, and, you know, we teased it earlier. But the lines to start the Rangers game, I I had some questions. Obviously, it was Cal Clutterbuck who is injured. He seems to be day-to-day. It shouldn't be anything more than that. But the the lines were as followed against the the Rangers. It was Anders Lee, Matt Barzell, and Sashnikov. And you say, okay, I can see that because Sashnikov kind of gives you a little speed. He's got a little burst of energy. He's got maybe not the best hands, but he he can skate with Barzell. And I think that's important for this this line where – Maybe you let him fill a lane. All of a sudden, you create, create some space for Anders Lee or for Matt Barzell to do his magic. Second and third lines were fine. It was Bo, Nelson, Bailey, Parise, Pajot, Palmieri. Now, if you were reading these lines like I were, and I was at work for the first period, so I couldn't quite watch the entire game back on Tuesday, but I got a text from my buddy, and it said, fourth line, Martin, Sezikis, and Oliver Wallstrom. And I thought to myself, what the hell are we doing? Didn't we just see this last year? Oliver Wallstrom, fourth line, doesn't play that kind of game. He's not a physical guy. He's not a play-in-your-own-zone, kill-clock kind of guy. What are we doing here? And by the end of the game, he ended up playing with Matt Barzell. And that's the most important thing. If you want to give him a couple shifts on that fourth line to just re-engage him into what you want from him, look, what I've done against the Rangers, probably not. But it happened, and it worked out. You know, Lane Lambert seems to be happy with his play. I'm certainly happy with how he's been playing. And I, I don't love plus minus as a stat at all, but I think it's kind of interesting if we just pull up Oliver Wallstrom's numbers. And look, obviously everyone's inflated because the team is doing very well. But Oliver Wallstrom has a plus minus of plus six. And again, it's a small sample size. But for him to not be on the ice for as many goals as he was last year is a very big positive for a guy that is currently playing right around 12 minutes. Now, would I like to see more from him? Yeah, I, I think I would because playing only 12 minutes, he's got to be leading the league or close to it in expected goals per 60 or goals scored per 60. He's got four on 13 games played, and he's playing 12 minutes a game. That's a nice little a nice little streak for Oliver Walshman, a nice little you know surge for guys not playing a lot of minutes who hopefully can develop into a guy that plays 15 minutes a night. Like when you look at this roster – there aren't too many wingers that should be playing more than Oliver Wallstrom. And right now, the only ones that are not playing more than him is Cal Clutterbuck, Matt Martin, and, you know, Sashnikov, Johnson, and Bells, who isn't on the team anymore. So if I'm the Islanders, I'm looking to get Oliver Wallstrom a little more playing time. Because I'm not going to say he deserves it, because he's got to earn his time, and he's got to play a full, you know, 200-foot game. But he's one of the few guys that can effectively score on this team and effectively have a shooting percentage above 10%. You know, Honors Lee's in that mix because he 
really seems to dominate when it comes to scoring in tight. And that's a high percentage chance that Walsham doesn't necessarily get. But when you consider how he scores his goals, Oliver Walsham's shot is enough to get you at a 15, maybe even 20% clip on a shooting percentage. Uh, one thing that was really interesting, too, that we'll have to address in that Calgary game was the, holy crap, we need to score a goal. And that line that came about with it was Anders Lee, Matt Barzell, and Brock Nelson. And I forgot who it was, but someone that made a very interesting point on that line had mentioned on Twitter that, hey, like, I wonder if this paves the way for Atu Ratty, or Ratu. And that was something I was thinking of earlier in the season as well, because he's going to be your center. He's basically your first call up to be a center. And if maybe there's not an injury, but if you want Nelson to take some time on that top line and you have some injuries, you move him to that top line with Barzell. Nelson can win the faceoffs from if you need. That second line center can be Radu. And then Paggio plays a very good third line and is kind of the super utility type player. He can play on the power play. He can play on the PK. He can play at any situation, and then obviously you have Sezikis. So that's a really interesting nugget that we might see down the line if the team starts to struggle or if you see some injuries. But that line of Lee Barzell and Nelson in about five and change of five-on-five play had created 14 shot attempts to five allowed, a .49 expected goals against versus .21. So they're basically doubling up the opposition and then some in terms of expected goals. And they had four more high danger chances than the opposition in that short sample size, four to zero. So look, five minutes is not a lot of time on the ice together. And you're obviously, you don't want to look too far into the stats because when you're down a goal, you're hungry, you're hunting for more. The other team's more comfortable sitting back and just trying to clear the zone. And frankly, they couldn't quite do it against the Lee Barzell and Nelson line in Calgary. But this is a line that can certainly do some damage if you need to. And you've seen the Penguins kind of stagger Crosby and Malkin on the same line at times. We've seen the Oilers do it with Dreisaitl and McDavid. And obviously these guys aren't at that level. However, this is also a smaller version of that line that could work out for the Islanders when they need a goal. Matt Barzell can carry the puck extremely well. Honors Lee can muck it up in the corners. Brock Nelson has a wicked shot. He's close to the team leading goals. I think Honors Lee currently leads with eight, which is incredible to think about that Honors Lee could be on pace for the goals he has. And I'll try to do the math now really quickly. Wish me luck. Again, I should I prepare this beforehand? Absolutely. Did I? No. But eight divided by 14 is, five point, is 0.57 goals per game. Multiply that by 82. He's on pace for almost 47 goals this season is Honors Lee. So he can muck it up in the corners and creep down towards the net like he did against the Rangers and end up scoring goal on that in that game, I should say. Matt Barzell can do whatever the hell he wants. You, you know what he brings to the table. And then Nelson can be that secondary face-off guy, can be a little, you know, can help in the defensive zone when you need it. He's got a wicked shot. He can move the puck. I mean, this is a fun line that could really do some damage for this team when you need a goal. And with that, We'll jump into the puck headlines. We'll get into our top five, bottom five in just a moment. And then we'll wrap up, wrap up the show with a look ahead for the Islanders in the next week of games. But to start with the puck headlines, we'll have to start with a probably the, one of the worst stories coming out of the NHL, not only this week, but also this year. And it was the Bruins debacle with Mitchell Miller, the former Arizona Coyotes prospect, who they drafted 
and then renounced his rights. It felt like days after because it came out that he was bullying and even assaulted uh, a classmate, Isaiah Meyer Crothers, a black classmate with developmental disabilities. And this was such a horrible story for the Bruins who are having a good season. And first off, you know, obviously you really feel for the family of Isaiah because he didn't ask to be brought into the spotlight again. If, if he had it his way, I'm sure, or if his family had it their way, this wouldn't be a story. You know, this would have been the draft day story. Arizona cuts him and this is it because this kid, Mitchell Miller, does not deserve to be in the NHL at all. He does not deserve to play hockey. He doesn't have that right because what he did to Isaiah was disgraceful with racial slurs and just heinous bullying. And, you know, not only the mental abuse, but also physical. It was all just disgusting, and it ranged for a couple of years, starting when Mitchell was 14, and that's not an excuse, because when I was 14 in middle school, you knew there were certain words you couldn't say, and you know maybe is there some bullying, I don't want to say lighthearted, it's never lighthearted, but in middle school, are there bullies? Absolutely. Have I ever seen it get this bad in my middle school? No, and if this was a situation where it wasn't as blatant and as obvious as this, maybe he gets a second chance, but I don't know how you give this kid a second chance when, frankly, every single kid that I knew growing up knew that those are certain things you don't do. And, you know, good on Patrice Bergeron for speaking out, saying, hey, we, we don't really want this. You know, some of the other players said it as well. The entire hockey community had, you know, had intense backlash. And the one thing that's a really a, a big stain on the Bruins is they said, hey, look, we did our due diligence when we made this the signing and the move. And then a couple of days later when they caught him, Cam Neely expressed concern over the team over the failure in the team's vetting process. You're leading that process. How did you not know that there was more information? And I put more information in air quotes because frankly, I don't think there was more information. I think the information that you had was enough to sign him in your eyes. And the more information was, wait, people don't like this. People really are mad at us and we've got to stop this. So no credit is due for the Bruins, but credit to the players for speaking up and credit to the hockey community for saying, hey, we can't do this because it's not right. Uh, other news around the NHL, Evander Kane was put on LTIR, and he's more importantly, he's okay. He'll be out about three to four months following a really just gruesome wrist injury. He collided with another with uh, Philip Myers of the Lightning, fell down, and his wrist ended up getting stepped on by Pat Maroon accidentally. Maroon immediately calls for help, and Evander Kane ra races off the ice. Like, I'm shocked they didn't stop play because blood was everywhere, pretty much. It was super scary, but fortunately for Evander Kane, fortunately for the Oilers, he's got the injury, but it wasn't more than it could have been. I mean, that's an injury where you could feasibly lose nerves in your wrist, right? Like, it could be that bad. You could lose a lot of blood. You can cut an artery, you know, not an artery, but a vein, right? So a lot of blood, but Evander Kane was okay. The medics responded super quickly. And now, you know, the, the Royals will be out without a guy that puts up close to, if not a point per game. And obviously, you know, you're, you're thankful that he's okay first and foremost. But this is a big loss for a team that is good. But they're also trying to, I don't want to say be really good. That's a cop-out. But it's so early in the year, if you if you don't have your point-per-game guy, one of your best wingers on the team, you don't really know where you're going to be. And right now, they sit in a wild-card spot. And again, it's just so early to talk about it because Seattle right now is the second-best team 
in the Pacific. Is that going to continue? Is Martin Jones going to be a 940 save percentage goalie like he has been over the last week or so? Probably not. I'd be pretty confident in betting the uh, the under on his save percentage if it, if the the line was 930. Give me a heavy under. And right now it's at 940 over the last few games. So Edmonton certainly can crack back in the top three. It just comes a little bit harder with Evander Kane on the shelf for a little bit. Uh, the final. Uh, speaking of Edmonton, before we get to our final story, this is just a note I want to make. It's really cool that TNT is putting Canadian teams on the national broadcast. That's not something we saw with NBC Sports. Basically, the entire contract, it was, hey, we need to get the American broad teams on so we can get the two markets instead of one. But for TNT, not going to say they don't care about it, but they're putting the best product on the ice. And if that happens to be the Oilers, which it really is, you know, you look at other Canadian teams. Calgary is a fun product for the most part. I wouldn't call, I wouldn't say Toronto's a fun product too, for what it's worth. So you've got a couple good Canadian teams. You might as well put them on the spotlight and try to grow the game that way. Austin Matthews is an American superstar. He should be marketed as such in America and in the States. So good on TNT for getting some Canadian teams involved in the mix. And the final story is just that the Hockey Hall of Fame induction ceremony begins on Monday. Danny Alvidson, the Sedin twins, uh, Roberto Luongo, Herb Carnegie, and I apologize for the pronunciation, but... Rika Salinen, I believe is how it's pronounced. And it'll be cool. November 14th, the full ceremony. The Hockey Hall of Fame is awesome. If you haven't been, highly recommend it. It is so much fun going there. The There's an aura around the building when you first walk in. It's kind of like a, a library or like a strip mall, which is very interesting. And you've kind of got to find the actual Hall of Fame. It's a museum too, obviously. And it's got some interactive games, right? You, you shoot the puck on net. You try to score and beat a goalie. You actually have to stop some pucks if you want, like these little foam pucks that get shot out of the wall. Super fun. Cool museum. But the actual Hall of Fame is like deep within the museum. And if you're not looking carefully and if you're on a tour group and you're, you're you know, you don't have all the time in the world, you might miss it. So make sure you find the, the Stanley Cup and the little plaques because it's super cool. It really is. And, and that is our puck headlines for the week. We'll move on now to our top five, bottom five. Uh, top five, we'll run through pretty quickly because it's, it's a lot of similarities. I mean, not a lot changes in the NHL. I think the only team that was removed was the Edmonton Oilers because they've kind of been middling a little bit. And before we you know go into it, we'll give some honorable mentions to Seattle. Five-game winning streak, we kind of mentioned that. Winnipeg shot up to first in the Central Division. They're 8-3-1 now. After going on a 7-2-1 streak and a three-game winning streak, that's a team that could be good. They really are. They've kind of struggled to score to start the year. They're just over three goals per game. Their goals allowed is kind of mellowing out now that Connor Halbuck's getting his feet settled. And that's a team that can be very talented. But right now, there are teams in the top five that I just can't remove. And it starts with number one, and that's the Vegas Golden Knights. This team is so good. I say it every week. NHL long, eight-game win streak, the second-highest goal differential at plus 20. Only two losses all season long. They'll face Buffalo coming up in a little bit, and that's just a really fun team to watch. They've got this incredible high-end talent on their team with, you know, obviously Eichel and, and pieces like that. But then you look down below it, and you kind of see the nice complementary pieces that are really working out well. Nick Roy has... Eight points. You know, William Carrier has six points. Phil Kessel's got five points, baby. Like, 
they they found that little depth pieces. They kind of took a book, at, or, you know, a page out of the Toronto Maple Leafs book signing Phil Kessel, uh, you know, to a league minimum type deal, a guy that knows what he can do. He has the scoring prowess and that touch. Maybe doesn't have all of it like he once did, but he's a veteran guy that knows how to play the game. He plays fast, and at this point in his career, Phil Kessel is a very good third line player that Vegas has. So beyond them, number two, the Boston Bruins. What's really impressed me the most is David Krejci. Nine points in 10 games played. He's a guy that I thought was done after, you know, he moved back to uh, Europe last year. He comes back over for a season. He's been very good. They should be getting McAvoy back any day now. And I was wrong about the Bruins. I thought they'd fall off. And look, they've got a lot of time remaining. But when you look at the Atlantic, they are the best team in the Atlantic by a long shot. I think the Islanders could be better than them. I think the Devils could be better than them. I think Carolina is better than them at this point. But when you look at the Bruins, they're the best team in the Atlantic, and I don't think it's particularly close. Toronto, their goaltending is a big question mark. Their scoring hasn't quite been what the Bruins has been. I expect it to get better, but they really struggled out of the stretch. Tampa's just, they're just they've just got to be tired at this point. They've been to so many Stanley Cups the last couple of years. Their, their young core that they had, you know, you have to move on from a lot of them. Right? Yanni Gord, pieces like that. Stamkos is getting a bit older. Kutrov's getting a bit older. You lose McDonough uh, over the offseason. So Tampa struggling and this Atlantic division struggling. You could see the Bruins win this division by a long shot. I mean, right now they're already five points up on Detroit, who frankly should not be the second best team in this division. But moving forward, we'll, get, we'll go with the Devils number three. They're on a seven-game winning streak. That's a good team. That That is what you would call a certified wagon. And at the start of the year, I put, a, or at the start of free agency, rather, I put a couple of dollars on them to win the Metro. I thought to myself, hey, the, the, the Devils, they're the favorite for Johnny Goudreau, right? That's why I did it. So before, I thought to myself, before Goudreau signs with the Devils, let me get on this early. Let me get a little ticket that says they're going to win the Metropolitan Division. Lo and behold, they don't sign Goudreau. But nonetheless, they are the best team in the division by a couple points on the Islanders, plus a game in hand. But this is a big test for them coming up because Mackenzie Blackwood will be out three to six weeks recovering from an MCL sprain in his knee. Vitek Vanacek has been very good. He's a 915 save percentage goalie this year. And without Blackwood, he's got to be that and continue to be that. So this is a good test for them without Blackwood, without Palat, who's recovering from injury as well. See what they can do. As we continue, number four, the Islanders. I didn't want to put them there. Right now, they're better than Carolina. I didn't want the Islanders to be at four. I thought that maybe Edmonton could be better. Maybe a team like the Flames, we could argue, is better. But the Flames have really struggled recently, so I'd take them out, obviously. But they're not playing their best hockey necessarily, the Islanders. But they're getting the wins, and they're, they are have moments of playing their best hockey. And I guess that's all that matters for this team. Number five, Carolina. Uh, they're 6-3-1 in their last ten. Does Seattle and Winnipeg both have a couple more points than Carolina in their last 10 games? Yeah, but Carolina's just, they've been good. They're consistent. We know what they are. We know they're a good team. We know they're a top five team in the NHL. And just because they've only played 12 games compared to the Islanders 14 and the Devils 13 and, you know, Winnipeg's, I guess they're also even at 12, but Seattle's 14. Like, I couldn't undermine what Carolina's done the last little while. Uh, Wrapping things up, the bottom five, St. Louis at 28. They stink. Can they turn around? Maybe. I just don't see it happening right now. The offense is too slow. It's sluggish at this point. Uh, 
I'm sorry, they were 27. 28 would be Anaheim. They're just really struggling, and losing Jamie Drysdale for almost six months is catastrophic. 29, Ottawa. Look, Cam Talbot's got to be a 915 goaltender like he's been all, all career long because otherwise they might have been, you know, all in too early. They have some talent. Their, their defense leaves a little bit to be desired, but ultimately it comes down to goaltending in this league, and they haven't gotten it just yet. Uh, wrapping up the last few, San Jose at 31 and Columbus at 32. So again, the bottom five, it's St. Louis, it's Anaheim, it's Ottawa, it's San Jose and Columbus. Columbus has given almost five goals per game. This goaltending has been horrible. The fact they couldn't figure it out this offseason, bringing in Johnny Goudreau is shocking, I guess. You know, they're all in a corpus and the pieces that they have, so be it. But this is a team that needs some goaltending. And we'll see if they can get it moving forward. That's a young team, though, that certainly will get better as the season progresses. Let's get to the game, the goal of the week, the play of the week. Courtesy of WRHU. Obviously, listen to every game on WRHU. And it's Anders Lee earning the Islanders their second straight come from behind win. Islanders hold it in. Romanov left point to the net. Loose in front. Lee shoots. He scores! The captain buries it from the top of the paint. And the Islanders are back on top. They lead it 4-3 to three with five and a half to go. Uh, looking at the week ahead, we kind of teased it before earlier in the show. The Islanders need to, at minimum, dominate two of these three games and collect four to six points. It's Thursday, so it's tonight if you're listening to this on a Thursday. Hosting Arizona. It's Saturday hosting Columbus. And it's Monday in Ottawa. And you've got to dominate these next two games for a full 60 minutes. These teams are not good enough to beat you. They are not good enough to outshoot you. You have to take the play to them and use your speed and just the sheer talent because Arizona's got some grit and hard work. They don't have nearly as much talent as the Islanders do. And that's a team that always kind of seems to give the Islanders some struggles. You know, I remember, well, it must have been years ago when Franz Nielsen scored the game winners, like a 2-1 game. Islanders outshot them, felt like 2-1. to one, But they just couldn't seem to put the goal past the goaltender. It must have been Mike Smith at that point. That's the kind of games that you see against Arizona. But if you only win the game 2-1, to one, but you outshoot them 45-20, to 20, that's that that domination. I'll give you that. Same with Columbus. That's a team that has some scoring prowess, but you've got to beat their goaltending. It's not good. It really isn't. So give me two dominant wins. Give me a win in Ottawa, too, if you can. You're only 4-3 and three on the road. It hasn't been too great for you. But again, continue to bank wins, put up big numbers. And this is an important week because you've kind of struggled the last little bit. You've pulled out wins, but this is the time to say, hey, look, we're not just a 20-minute team. We are a good team from the very first whistle, and that's what the Islanders need to do here this week, and I think they can do it this week. Uh, all right, moving on to our bets, our best bets. As we mentioned, we're 5-4 and four because we're counting the Devils-Edmonton game, which when I bet it, it was seven. It was a push. But when we recorded the podcast, it was six and a half, which means it would have been a win. So we're counting as a win. Either way, we made you money in those first two because we had Carolina plus 110. And now we look to this week. And they're all Tuesday, they're all Thursday games, so you better be listening as soon as we get this podcast out there early Thursday morning. But give me the Arizona team under two and a half against the Islanders. It's minus 160, not the best value, but 
whether it's Sorokin or Varlamov, they're not giving up three goals against this Arizona team. They just don't have the talent to do it. They don't have the talent to score more than two goals against the Islanders. So give me the Island, the Coyotes rather, under two and a half. Another game that I really like is the Colorado Avalanche minus one and a half taking on Nashville. You could do the, the, the money line, but it just didn't give you as great value. You're getting plus 122 on this one. On Tuesday, UC Saros was bad on TNT. I mean, the game was over before the first period, and it was like four goals on the first six shots. Bad against Seattle. Colorado not struggling, but they're not playing their best hockey right now. I think this is a game that kind of writes the ship for them. And then finally, St. Louis, San Jose, repug game, two terrible teams. Give me the over six. Bennington stinks. The goaltending in San Jose is not very good. They've got some talent. Eric Carlson's a point-per-game player, so that gives you a goal right there. I think St. Louis's offense can, can figure it out to some extent. And if not, Bennington gives up three goals. San Jose scored St. Louis scores three, and there's your push. And then you've got to get to overtime to get the over. So give me the San Jose St. Louis game over six. It's minus 110. Fairly decent value there. And we'll wrap things up here for this week. With the game of the week. And we've got two. Tonight, Thursday night, Jack Eichel returns to Buffalo on ESPN+. Plus. That's going to be, that is the, the rivalry what the Islanders fans kind of had with John Tavares, or, or still have. The, bo- the constant booing every time he touches the puck. Buffalo's, I'm not going to say good this year, but they're winning games this year. They're winning games, the Buffalo Sabres are. They're above 500. They'll take that, Sabres fans. So, That's an exciting game to watch. And then Friday, Pittsburgh and Toronto. These are two hopeful teams that want to make the playoffs, that think they can make the playoffs, that have kind of struggled. Now, Toronto is holding a playoff spot, and Pittsburgh's pretty far out of it at this point. They're seven points out of Toronto, and they are about five points out of a playoff spot right now. But they started hot. The sky kind of falling for Pittsburgh, Toronto, and their media, they think the sky is falling. So that's an exciting game to see. Who can kind of get back on the right track? But with that said, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Believe in Islanders podcast. Thank you for listening. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Believe in Isles. Follow me at MattWatling99. If you have any questions, feel free to hit me up. I'll answer my love chat in Islanders with everybody. And we'll see you guys next week right here on the Believe in Islanders podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.